Hey, Rob. Yo, what's up, man? What's up? How you doing? How you doing? Dude, did you see that total barrier on Facebook? No. Oh, man. There's some dude, there's some person on Facebook that say the wrong shit on somebody's page and people are just burying her. Oh, man. Tell dude, me about dude, it later. The shit that's coming. <laughs> You're going to laugh later. <laughs> so here we got is the Rock Show 65. The making of things must pass. Pretty uh, incredible album. Yeah, George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. Um, it was the first uh, real solo effort by him. Um, yeah, I didn't understand that because they say it's his third studio uh, album, but it was yeah, like... he had he had two releases while the Beatles was still around in '69. One was like a uh, a compilation thing called Wonderwall. And then one was like uh, an experimental kind of album that he does. He didn't even recognize those two. Wow. You know, as being solo records of his. Yeah, because he was playing with other people, too. Like, if you see some of the people he was playing, but holy shit, man. Yeah, I mean, this was like a who's who of rock stars, man. Basically, Yeah, man. That's what I was saying. This thing was this album had a little bit of everybody in it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And actually, uh some bands actually came out of the, the sessions. Oh, you'll, yeah? see, you'll see that. Um, Did Cato Caitlin come out of any of these bands? Cato <laughs> Caitlin. Yeah. I mean, you know, like we like with Rodney, you know, he's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's a great quote about this album that, that George Harrison had himself. And I'll start with that. It says, I didn't have many tunes on Beatles records. So doing an album like All Things Must Pass was like going to the bathroom and letting it all out. Yeah. You know, and it was. Uh, you know, a lot of this material he'd had for a couple of years already. And they were songs that were rejected by Paul McCartney and John Lennon. That They, they felt they weren't good enough for Beatles records. But the, the truth is, is that you look at that time period between like 66 and, and when the band broke up in 70. Yeah. I mean, they made some amazing music, but within that amazing music, there's some clunkers. There's some shit songs. Dude, do you okay. read a, they there was an article, somebody that, because they, since they broke up in April, some people actually thought it was an April Fool's joke. Yeah, that's true. I, nobody believed it when it came out. Nobody believed it. And it came out, they broke up pretty much like in April and people thought it was a joke. Yeah. Yeah, nobody believed it for like a few days, and then they they had to actually say it that it was true. So this is actually episode sixty five of the Rock Show. All things must pass. This album was released November twenty seven, nineteen seventy. Nineteen seventy. Yep. It was a double LP, and it was a hundred and six minutes long. Triple LP, my friend. Triple, triple. LP. All right. Yeah. Very first uh, triple LP in in rock music. Was it a tri- uh, I thought the vinyl didn't was it uh was it a triple LP or was when it came out on DVD a triple LP? No, it, it originally was three LPs in a box. Wow. Okay, you had the two albums, the two yeah. LPs that were the album. Yes, the, the album. Third, the third, the third thing was called Apple Jam, and it was just like five songs, long jams. Uh, one song had vocals; everything else was instrumental. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people kind of skipped that part of the record but 
I've kind of learned to enjoy it over the years. There's some interesting guitar work on there. Yeah, the Apple Jam is actually pretty good. Um, he, yeah. That's something that he worked on, and he got people and stuff there. Yeah, I mean, everybody's on that. And, yeah. uh, well, we're going to talk about that. But you, you said it right. It was released November 27th, 1970. It was recorded from May to October of that year in Abbey Road Studios, Trident Studios, and Apple Studios. Yeah. Okay. Now, it was co-produced between Harrison and Phil Spector. Dude, what is it with this guy? Whatever he touches goes to gold. Especially at that time of his life, really. Like yeah. In the late in the 60s and 70s, early 70s, yeah. I mean, he was... He had already worked with the Beatles a little bit on like what was called the Get Back Sessions, and that was really what would become Let It Be. Let It everything. Be? All right. Yeah, and you know he was involved with the production of that. That didn't go well. There's a whole story with that about how there was so much infighting. You know, they actually recorded Let It Be before Abbey Road. Wow. And and it didn't come out until after. Wow, I didn't know. Let me yeah. ask you a question. Why made this guy so good? Why is, I think we got to have like a total whole episode on this guy's career. Yeah, we could. We could. It'd be very interesting. Might even have to be two parts because he really... Uh, especially in the 60s, early 60s, he, he was like the epitome of pop music, what it was supposed to sound like. You know, that whole wall of feature that he yeah, had. Yeah, that was incredible, you know, the wall of sound. Yeah, yeah. And it works really great with this album, I think. Uh, you know, when it got to the recording of it, he was using, you know, five rhythm guitarists, three drummers, uh, you know, full orchestras to get this sound. And it works on the songs pretty He good. also started um, playing that weird Indian instrument. You know the name of that instrument? The sitar? That's what it was? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Harrison had been playing that since around 65, 66. Yeah. Okay. And he had gotten really good at it. And it was in many, many Beatles songs in that yeah. time. Um, but actually, with this album, he kind of put it down a little bit he started he started writing from a, a from guitar again from a guitar yeah player. didn't he like started using like the slide guitar or something using the slide guitar yeah the slide guitar is something that he would be known for you know in his career and he really brought it out in this for the first yep. time but um you know the beginnings of this album actually start when uh george harrison visited bob dylan in america and that was right after the beatles had recorded the white album in 68 now, he enjoyed working with Bob Dylan and the band, you know, Dylan and the band. That was the backing Yeah, band. they had chemistry. Um, yeah, he felt that he was treated like an equal. And he didn't have that kind of relationship with the Beatles anymore. Everything was, you know, Lennon and McCartney songwriting, okay? He would be allowed to put, you know, maybe one or two compositions on an album at the yeah. most, okay? Maybe sing one, something like that. But he had brought a lot of music to them and they just, you know, they didn't take him that seriously. And he felt that playing with Dylan, he was more of an equal and Bob, you know, listened to him and, and, you know, gave, let him have a lot of input. And, uh, during the visit with Dylan that he had in 68, he started writing songs again from the guitar point of view, as opposed to using the sitar. And cause for the last like three years, that's really how he wrote. But it was the beginning of a very creative period for uh, George Harrison. Now, he collaborated with Dylan, but he also collaborated with Eric Clapton, and he had become very good friends with him. Now, going into 1969, 
He produced on Apple Records uh, Billy Preston's solo album and a woman named Doris Troy. They were two soul-influenced American singer-songwriters, and they would prove very influential on All Things Must Pass. Um, He toured briefly with Eric Clapton and kept spiritual as he was still involved with the uh, Harry Krishner and Hindu movement that he had gotten into. And he stuck with that his whole life. Now, the, you know, the, the band had gotten into that, but he was the only one that stayed yep. with it. Now, in uh, 69, between 69 and 70, he produced two hit singles for a UK-based group called the Radha Krishna Temple. Okay. Uh, these were actually top 10 hits by this group. And uh, in January of 70, Harrison invited Phil Spector to the recordings of John Lennon's Plastic Ono band, the single Instant Karma. Okay, when that was, uh, I think it was being recorded, I think it at either Abbey Road or Apple, and he invited him down to, to the sessions for them recording that song. Um, this, like, meeting led to Phil Spector being brought in to co-produce All Things Must Pass, which kind of like the following month, Harrison would go into Abbey Road Studios and start recording some demos. Okay. The, the, now, the actual title track, All Things Must yeah. Pass, was a song that he had given to the Beatles, oh. and they rejected it. Yeah, they it. passed, yeah. They passed on it, right. So Let me ask you a question. He to... um, so, Mike, after the Beatles broke up, so Harrison, uh, George Harrison was playing um, music and stuff, but he was also producing some acts, right? Right. Well, I just said he produced that that Harry yeah. Krishna act, and he was involved with um, producing uh, Billy Preston's yeah. album. Preston would play with him on All Things Must Pass. Why do you think uh, he? Yeah, did, he was very. Why angry. did he do that? Why did he just put a band together and started playing? Did he needed like the break from the. He just needed to walk away from a bit and just help other people out. What was what was that about? Yeah. Well, you know what? There was a period in '69, early '69, I think January, where he actually left yeah. the Beatles. Okay. Quick. Okay. Just, but it was very brief, and because at that time between '69 and '70, the band was fighting a lot. Okay. Uh, it was a period where they, you know, it was obvious they were going in different directions. You know, Yoko Ono was in the middle of that. You could make whatever you want out of that. Uh, but um, Harrison was always kind of to the side. You know, he was the quiet Beatle. And uh, he was my favorite Beatle, to be honest with you. I think that, uh, you know, when I was young, it was always John Lennon. But as I got older and I appreciated the Beatles, George. Became yeah, George. Um, and Phil, Phil had a weird respect for him. Like he heard like he, he oh, heard he his collection. Like he had hundreds, hundreds of fucking songs. Like he had built in, like built in that he let all his emotion. And we just got a small like tasting of what he really was. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you know. Spectre, actually, when he was visiting during those sessions for uh, for John Lennon's Plastic Ono band, Spectre was hanging out with Harrison, and uh, he went to go stay with him at Friar Park, yep. which was Harrison's residence. It's a 120-room Victorian mansion, okay, that he had just bought at that time, and it was known for caves and an underground river underneath the house, okay? And Harrison brought him there. It was originally owned by a guy named, it was a lawyer named Sir Frank Crisp. Now, remember that name because it actually comes into play on the album. Um, Spectre was 
like amazed at the amount of unreleased songs that Harrison had at this point. Like you just said, yeah. uh, the, the, the song, isn't it a pity yep. the art of dying? Both of those go back to 1966. Uh, the song I'd have you anytime. He actually co-wrote that with Bob Dylan song called. Let I was it just going to ask you that. Cause that was something he wrote with Dylan for uh, Woodstock, right? Right, right. For Woodstock. And uh, in 68, that was written. Those two songs, let it down. And, and, and the one with Dylan, I'd have you anytime. Yeah. But, um, the track hear me lord and let it down were actually given to the beatles as well and and they they passed on them okay uh so these were all you know these were songs he had lying around for yeah. a while uh wawa which is one of my favorites great. on the album was, was written like in january of 69 in that period when he left the beatles briefly uh, run of the mill was writ- written around the same time and that's actually a song that's kind of like about the Beatles. Yep. Okay. Uh, what is life? That actually came to him when he was driving in his car, going to Billy Preston's recording. Okay. okay when he was working on that, uh, the album that Billy was working on ended up being called "That's the Way God Planned It," and it was you know fully produced by wow. Harrison. But um, there was a song called "Behind That Locked Door." That was written with Bob Dylan in mind. It was kind of written for him. Um, My Sweet Lord, that was an attempt at, at George making a gospel song. That is okay. a, that's a fucking great song. It is. It is. I always loved that song from when I was a kid. Uh, I Dig Love is another one that featured Harrison's early experimenting with the slide yep. guitar. And that's, you know, was one of the first times you heard him use that. And he would use that continuously for the rest of his life as a fly guitar. Uh, in early 70, he wrote the song Awaiting on You, and he wrote Beware of Darkness, and then the ballad of Sir Frankie Crisp, which is the guy he bought the, the house from. Okay, uh, That was the original Friar Park owner. He was like a crazy lawyer. Um, May 1st of 1970, right before the recordings for All Things Must Pass began, Harrison went to go visit Bob Dylan again, this time in yep. New York. And he acquired a new song from him called If Not For You. And then also he wrote the song Apple Yeah, Scrubs. Apple Scrubs is another good song. Yep. Great stuff. Great stuff. You know, um, the way I, I, I think of All Things Must Pass is kind of like it's a musical stew. It's a musical stew of influences, like everything from hard rock to country to Motown. Uh, the sly guitar, the Harry Christian chant, yeah. the Indian classical music thrown in there. Um, and the lyrics are like incredibly personal. And it's almost like he's having like a spiritual. Oh, he totally is. I call out. it like a, you know, like a, it's like a, it's like the fruit cocktail of albums. <laughs> a little bit of everything. Yeah. Well, you know, there's another, there's another good analogy. Okay. Because it's so damn long. Yes, very album, long. All right. Right, it's off. It's often called the War and Peace of Oh, it's rock totally is the War and Peace of Rock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, but it's something that everybody should dive into at least once and check it out because it's it's really like it's the best as far as I'm concerned solo effort by by any uh, Beatle. I think, it dude. Is. Let me tell you, this guy was a hell of a songwriter. And think about it. You had you had Paul and you had John with that, but this guy, holy shit. 
you know how much they must have been holding him back and for him to release his own shit? He was like probably like motherfuckers. You know, and if you think about it, what if like they let him put a few more songs on there and then you didn't have crap like when I'm 64 on Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> it is a good song, but it did not belong to Sergeant Pepper. Nah, there's look, be, the Beatles are great and, and they're, they're tops, man. One of the best. I, I, you can't argue that. But at the same time, they got a few songs that you go like. You mean the, the Backstreet song? Boys of okay. the 60s? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> they just got a little too full of themselves. <laughs> like, isn't Hey, isn't Hey, isn't Hey Jude about five minutes too yeah. long? You know? I mean, if some of those songs that were on All Things Must Pass actually went on a Beatles record, that would be, you know, that record would be a lot yeah. better. Whatever it was. I mean, it's, the last two Beatles records, Abbey Road and Let It Be, to me, they they could have been just one, one great yeah. album. Because there's a lot of filler in those two, okay? And, uh, you know, they should have let Harrison produce a little more or let him write a little more. You know, well, what are you gonna do? Can't change it. No, nah, but the, but, um, but think about it. Some you, know, of, you put some of these songs in Sergeant Pepper. Holy shit! Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and I love Sergeant Pepper, but you know, there's a few songs on there. You go, yeah. oh man, you know what is? You know, uh, what like even on even on the White Album, like you could have took off Revolution Number Nine. That's a yeah. stupid song. The one that goes yeah. number nine, number oh. nine, number nine, number nine. <laughs> What is that, you know? But, uh, all right. Um, now, this was a double album. We yep. all know that. Okay. Uh, but the third album was called Apple yep. Jam. All right. And that was the third record of the set. Now, five tracks are on that. Four of them are instrumentals. You got songs called Out of the Blue, Plug Me In, uh, Thanks for the Pepperoni, and I Remember Jeep. Now, Jeep was Eric Clapton's dog. <laughs> That was the name of Eric Clapton's dog. And the one track that actually had vocals was called It's Johnny's Birthday. And it's kind of like a party song, like there's singing it around a, a birthday party yeah. type thing. Um, the interesting thing about All Things Must Pass is that there's probably about two dozen other songs that have never been released. Okay. Uh, they're sitting in a, in a can somewhere. They've never been, never been released. Uh, some stuff was bootlegged over the years, uh, that may have come out a few things. I, I probably haven't heard them, but as far as like the whole complete recording sessions of all things must pass, it's never, it's never, you, tell, you know what that's going to come out with George Jr. needs some money and it's time to let me release this shit. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he, yeah, I don't know. Uh, did he have a son? Yeah, he had George a son. He played with him in that 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 um that that um thing in India. That that thing that that sponsor. What was it that they had? A big oh, the concert from Bangladesh. Bangladesh. His son played. He played. And he also played with them. Remember, he was playing with Prince and um and Tom Petty and all those guys. And that's the square garden that time. He looks just like there. George. He looks like a young George when he was with the, yeah. with the yeah. Check it out. Yeah, his son plays plays guitar too. Okay. I forgot all about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, I guess he's in charge of his, you know, of his musical, uh, catalog, you know, 
but uh, it's never been released. They should do that. They should come out with like a six volume set. I, they did come out. out. He did he, when, while he was still alive for the 30th anniversary. I think of 2001, he did come out with the. Yeah, he was working on the remastering yeah. of it and stuff, but they really didn't come out with too many extra bonus nah. tracks. Like I have, the, you know, like you were you were listening to the 28 track yeah. set, right? Okay, now there's a couple of like different versions on there. There's like the 2000 version of My yep. Sweet Lord which was like a remixed kind of thing. It's the same song, but just slightly different mix. Uh, different version of What yep. is Life, Beware of Darkness, I Live for You, and Let It Down. But as far as like bonus tracks, different songs, I mean, they, they didn't come out with that. But they exist. They're out there. Um, now, um, the exact musical lineup for All Things Must Pass is kind of like a little unknown. They didn't exactly give credit to everybody that's on that album. Okay, for instance, Eric Clapton is yeah. all over the album, especially the Apple uh, Jam stuff, okay? But he got no credit on that album. And there was there was a kind of a law among the BBC at that time that they couldn't credit him or something like that. Okay, so he, he remained uncredited up until, I think, that, that 2000 re-release that we were just talking about. Now, four, uh, three people that were on the album, Bobby Whitlock, Jim Gordon, and Carl Radel, they all would meet Eric Clapton during those sessions, and they would start a band called Derek and the Dominoes. Okay, and Derek and the Dominoes is the, the one-off thing that Clapton did that got Layla. Yep. The song Layla. So it's just amazing that out of, out of the sessions of that, you get that amazing band that did that one amazing song that everybody yeah. knows. You know, Bobby Keys, the Stone Sax player, he plays on this album. Um, also, uh, like I said, Eric Clapton, Ringo Starr plays. Yeah, like right. Was, yeah, Ringo Starr, he was there too. Dude, this is like yeah. an all star. Right. It's a who's who's a musician playing in this album. Yeah, Billy Billy Preston plays. Uh, piano on and keyboards uh manfred mann's bass player named klaus vorman he plays on it uh on keyboards also you had gary wright <coughs> now you might remember the song green yep. weaver from the yep. 70s that was gary, gary wright he plays on that album um now there was a band that was signed to apple that was beginning to get popular at the time called Badfinger. And they were brought in to work on the, the record, too, to be session workers. And also, you had a uh, very young pre-Genesis, Bill Collins. Yeah, how would you do Again, the who's, like, this is an amazing album. Yep. Like, the people that worked on it, and when you look at you look at like, it doesn't even seem like that. And when you look at the credit, it doesn't even say, because I think they had too many people to credit it. A lot of people remain yeah. uncredited for many years. Yeah. Peter Frampton's on it. Ginger Baker is playing wow. on it. Okay. On the Apple Jam record. Um, and Procol Harum's Gary Brooker, okay, the singer, and he plays piano. He he was on the album. Um, now, there's rumors even that John Lennon and Maurice Gibb from the Bee Gees wow. was on it. Okay. But that kind of like was no one really knew for sure if they actually played on it. Um, Phil Spector began recording the album on May 26th. He started doing the background tracks live 
Okay. And he was using, you know, to get that wall of sound, he was using multiple drummers, multiple guitarists, multiple keyboardists, and, uh, you know, as many sometimes as five wow. at a time to create that wall of sound. Now, the first song they worked on was called Wild. Wild was a great right? fucking song. Right, right. And What Is Life they worked on, Isn't It a Pity, All Things Must Pass, and The Ballad of Sir Frank. That's, that's a great song. And they basically were using, you know, it is, it is. And they, they were using, you know, that wall of sound technique on this record. And, you know, that's like the first few songs that they worked on. But originally they had estimated it would take about eight weeks to record this, you know, this part of the, of the album or really the whole album. I think they predicted about eight weeks, but it wasn't going to be like that because Harrison's mother got sick and she lived back in Liverpool and he had to constantly go back and forth to take care of her. Uh, And also when you're dealing with Phil Spector, you're dealing with his erraticness. And uh, his perfectionism, and that was a problem because he would have a million takes of everything. He was known for that. And uh, Harrison complained that, you know, Phil Spector, before he even got started, needed 18 cherry brandies <laughs> before, he, before, before he would even get started in the studio. You know how many fucking a, drinks that that's is? That's a lot. Cherry brandy. Jesus, hey, let me ask you a question. What was this thing that I think Harris, um, George Harrison offered uh, Ronnie Spector, Phil's wife, some songs, right? Oh, well, yeah. Um, there was a period before they were recording this where uh, he had um, recorded the song Try Some, yes. Buy Some. And he would, it was supposed to be written for Ronnie. She was trying to get the Ronettes back together. Um, it never happened in the okay. early 70s. Uh, remember, we dealt with that yeah. a little bit when we talked about the, the Ronettes. Um, he actually would, would record that song himself, and eventually later on, she would put it out as a single. I actually had oh, a yeah? single at home. It's very, yeah, the, the, the Ronnie, uh, the Ronette version, uh, you know, Ronnie Specter version of it. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's, uh, you know, it's a song about doing drugs, it's a song about, you know, getting fucked up and you know, making a mistake. Kind of thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good song. Um, now, uh, <laughs> you know, Spectre was, was, was being erratic yeah. as usual. So, you know, this kind of slowed things down and sometimes it would, you know, you'd have a situation where Harrison himself was really kind of just left at the controls. Okay. Basically, you know, Spectre might be a little too fucked up and they, they, you know, Harrison would take over in the production. So, because of this, the studio costs started to mount a little bit and the record company was getting a little concerned, but you know, they kind of let it go the way, you know, the way it had to go. Um, The other problem that was happening at this time is that Eric Clapton was falling in love with George Harrison's wife, Patty Boyd. Okay. Now this is a famous story. I don't know if you've ever heard this where, you know, years later, Clapton would. Steal yeah, they had. Race. Yeah, I heard this whole story about Clapton. Yeah. OK. Yeah. But this was in the beginnings of that when he was having these feelings for his best friend's wife and he couldn't deal with it. Uh, and he developed a bad heroin habit over it. OK. And this went on for a couple of years. He would kind of like go into exile. Dude, what was the song? It. He wrote a okay. song about that, right? 
They don't know about that, right? That's the whole thing? Yeah. Yeah, Layla. Oh, there's a, a lot of songs in that period that Clapton wrote that are about her, okay? And at one point, there's a, you know, later, you know, a few years later, after that album comes out and everything, it's like, I think it's like 72, 73, something like that. Um, there's a party, and I think it's at Harrison's house. And, you know, at the beginning of the party, she's with Harrison. And at the end of the party, she's with Wow. Clapton. Okay. And the thing is, the amazing thing is that Harrison let it happen, didn't have any hard feelings, would continue to be friends with Clapton, and he used to call him his husband in law. <laughs> so you mean they did the right, deed, right? Like they bang and everything, right? They, uh, well, yeah, I think it was at a party. And, and, you know, she she th- th- their marriage was yeah. on the rocks. What's in the Harrison? Okay. Uh, what's in the Harrison on uh, compound? Because they had a lot of rooms to have sex in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it was it was a party at his at his compound. Yeah, um, and and he stayed friends with him, you wow. know, after that. And he, you know, he would remarry, and they would uh, Clapton would marry her, uh, but I think it only lasted about maybe ten years, and then they got divorced, but. Uh, you know, that was a crazy, crazy time, man. You, you know, you steal the guy's wife. I always heard rumors of that. It was crazy. You want to hear something in- interesting that George Harris said in 2000 of December? That, that was the greatest thing about splitting up, to be able to go off and make my own record. I also, I was yeah. also able to recall with all these new people, which was like a breath of fresh air. That was George Harrison in 2000. Talk about... Like he was bad when the Beatles broke up, and he was able to, you know, do his own shit. Well, yeah, I mean, they spent about two years fighting that band before they broke up. Between '68, the White Album, Abbey Road, and Let It Be, those three, everything started to fall apart. They they would go. They weren't even really a band. They would they would come together every few months. Okay. They they were going separate ways. John Lennon was with Yoko every fucking second of his existence. Okay, you couldn't get him away from her, and and then you know, Ringo was just whatever. He'd play with anybody. He didn't care. He you know Ringo was about as easy going as could be. Uh, you know Paul was hooking up with yeah. Linda Eastman, and then you know I, the impression I get during that time. And I've read a little, you know, a few things here and there is that, you know, McCartney was getting like really arrogant. Okay. And John was kind of being a douchebag as well. And you really, because these two guys were the main songwriters in the band. Now, Harrison, who contributed a lot, okay, wanted to contribute more. These guys were fighting with each other and they were fighting with him, not taking him seriously. Okay, so it was for two years he was suffering. You know, he was in the biggest band. Yeah, but they were shitting on each other. Okay. But they were shitting on each other, and all he wanted to do was make music. He wanted to contribute more, and he wanted to be treated as an equal. He wasn't getting that in the Beatles, so he was playing. He wanted to hear something crazy. He didn't realize Phil Connor was in the album until he started when he did the 30th anniversary. (laughs) Yeah, he he didn't know. He didn't know. Well, you know, there was probably a lot of recording done when he wasn't even there. Okay. 
there was probably days where he had to go oh, visit yeah, his that, mother. Yep. And, and Phil Collins wasn't anybody at that point. He was just a known uh, percussionist. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what he plays on the album. I guess it's drums or it might be some yeah. kind of percussion. That's what he was known for. So, so you know, it might have been a day when, when he wasn't even there. You know? Uh, Harrison didn't even on his vocals until the end. You know? But okay. the, the, the overdubbing actually began on August 12th. And the early mixes were sent over to Phil Spector, who actually went back to Los Angeles. So he okay. had started mixing stuff in L.A. And then Let It Down was one of the songs that was first mixed there. And it received like a big wall of sound production. That probably has the most overdubbing out of all the songs on the Wow. Album. Yeah, now Spectre would Dude, then... can you imagine that on fucking um Mike back then they were doing like they were finding a way to put all this sound and stuff and then mix it in and put your voice in it. Think about how incredible that is. And we're talking about the seventies, man. We're talking yeah, I mean, there was no digital. Yeah, was, that's crazy. It was, it was analog, it was all tapes. And you had to send that shit across dude, what if the shit would have got lost or something? You yep. know what? That's it. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, you know, you want to hear a story, even uh that that happened that kind of stuff would happen even going into the 80s and 90s the the ramones made a live album in spain yeah in 1991 called loco live okay and it was the first live album that they had done in years yeah and uh th it was the first one with the new bass player cj was in the band they recorded the album i think it was in Barcelona, if I remember right. Yeah. And uh, the uh, the tapes were stolen. Holy shit. <laughs> they had to redo the whole show in the studio. It was faked. That album is fake. Local Live. Wow. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people don't know that. Um, but they lost the they lost the master tapes. The whole thing was lost. Wow. Yeah. So that shit would happen even going into the, you know, 80s and 90s. Wow. And at that point, you know, recording was a little bit easier. You had some digital aspects you could throw in there. But back in the all things must pass, forget it. Everything was taped. Yeah, taped. Okay? Wow. Now, you you know, you would have to go from 8-track to 16-tracks for all the extra overdubbing. So Spectre would return to England, all right, and he would go to Trident Studios which is a famous studio. Uh, the Stones would, would record a lot there. A lot of people did. And he oversaw the conversions of the mixes from 8-track to 16-track. And that would add, you know, they would be able to add the wall of sound to that. Okay? Now, the album's orchestrations and everything, the strings and stuff, were recorded in early September of 70. And then Harrison would add all his vocals, his slide guitars, and his backing vocals at the at the same time, wow! That was the that was the basically the end of the process. Now, in 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 early October, the final mixes were done at Abbey Road Studios, and on October twenty eighth, Harrison and his wife Patty came to New York City, where Harrison and Phil Spector carried out the final preparations, which was basically the sequencing of the songs. Yeah, okay, how they were going to come, you know, what order everything was going to be in. And, you know, fade outs and, you know, things like that. So Harrison, you know, during this period, he was kind of a nervous wreck. All right. Because 
He felt that some of the songs maybe weren't strong enough to be on the album. He was feeling like, you know, and these were songs that he had for a long time. Yeah. But some, you know, he wasn't sure. He wasn't a hundred percent on, on, you know, on Phil's production. Uh, There's a lot of reverb on that album. And I think it's great because I love like all Phil Spector productions. But even Harrison says, like, I think it was around the type, the time of the remastering that he did in 2000, that he felt there was too much reverb on a lot of things. And I, I don't agree with him, but it's his album, you know? Yeah. But, and he also yeah. remember, this is like his first actual, actually like big, big album. Yeah. Well, it was, it was his first album and it ended up being the biggest solo Beatle record ever. Yep. Okay, there's there's some interesting stats with that. Six times platinum. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, like I said, he was a nervous wreck, and he had a meeting with uh, Apple Records USA manager, yeah. a guy named Alan Steckler. And Steckler, you know, sat him down and reassured him. And he said, listen, every one of these tracks in the final mix are perfect. They're all fit to be released. They pretty much so, were perfect when you, when they, you they, listened They were. They were, they were. Even now, the order they put them in, like it's like a, you know, it goes from one to another, and it doesn't even miss a beat. It's like a perfect fucking album almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you were de- you were dealing with guys in their prime, okay? Um, Phil Spector and Harrison in their prime, okay, wow. working together. Yeah. Okay. Now, one thing that um, you have to talk about is is the actual artwork and and the box itself, because it was very unique for the time. There was never a triple record ever in rock and roll. Yeah, I, that, that's that like unheard of. Okay, yeah. Um, and what they did was they created a hinged box. Okay, it opened up. Okay, with a box and you know a box shape. So the three records would sit on top of each other, and they you know the design of that made it kind of like difficult to carry. All right. It wasn't like a gatefold that would open three ways. Yeah. It was just it was just a, a, a shallow box that would open. It would be kind of hinged on one side. So it would just open. And if you want, you know, if you were carrying a bunch of them, it was difficult. You know, if you were in a store or something, it was hard to carry. Uh, a lot of retailers didn't know what to do with it, because at the time, box sets like that, were associated with like classical music or opera. All right, so they 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 didn't know what to do with this like rock record that you know was big and bulky and you know, but it didn't matter because the album was a hit right off the bat. Okay, um, the cover of the album was shot at Friar Park, that's uh, Harrison's house. Yeah, and he's sitting down on the lawn with four garden gnomes lying down around him on the ground. And that's supposed to represent the Beatles. I saw that. Yeah. 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 Uh, And that he's like, you know, the one standing. Now, John Lennon is on record, like, you know, criticizing that. Like, what the fuck? Okay. Like, he didn't like that look. Fuck Lennon. You know, and he, you know, it turned out that, you know, when it came down to it, he was just jealous, okay, of the of the success of it, all right? Because what he was working on at that time was the Imagine album, and it's nowhere near as good as this one. That's a shit album. 
Well, I, I hate that song, number one. And then, you know. The, the, the Communist Manifesto. Huh? Exactly, exactly. I mean, Instant Karma is a good song. Yeah. All right. But that was the Plastic Ono band. That was a different thing. But that John Lennon Imagine record, I never I never listened to that album. But, uh, you know, it came with a poster, the, uh, the George Harrison album, okay? And it, it's like a picture of him in a darkened hallway. Uh, the album was released November 27th, 1970, and, and in the United States. And then it was released November 30th in the UK. My Sweet Lord was the first single. Great song. Yeah, that would get to number one in both countries by February of 71. Uh, the second single was uh, the song What Is Life. Yep. Now, that was also a big hit. The album would be number one in the UK for eight weeks. And it would be number one in the United States from January to February of 71. Okay, now it's the only solo Beatle record to have a number one single, My Sweet Lord, and album simultaneously. Wow. Okay, now, and like we said before, it was six times platinum. Okay. I got another few stacks. So in the (laughs) New York Times, 100 Greatest album that people must have. Greatest album all time. Guess where they rank this album? Well, it's got to be in the top 30. No, it's not even the top 30. What is it? It was 79 in the top 100 Ooh. greatest. So, and then it, and it's even. I don't agree with that. And then with the Rolling Stone, it's even worse. The Rolling Stone 500 album, five of the greatest, 500 of the greatest album all time. It was 433. Nah, I. I'd put it a lot higher than that. I think this album, uh, you know, the problem with it probably is that it's long. That's what okay. it is. It's a long album. Right. But, but you know, people will sit there and listen to fucking Pink Floyd records that are long. Yeah. Okay. Or the Allman right. Brothers. Or Allman Brothers. They'll put that shit higher. I don't know why. Okay. Because I'll be honest with you. I'd rather listen to George Harrison, All Things Must Pass, than like, Almost anything by Pink Floyd. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean. I'm not, you know, th- th- there's people out there that just continuously kiss that ass's ass of that band. Okay, and I just think their day is long over. You know, I mean, you got you, you know, it, it, it's an album that it, it's different than what the Beatles were doing at the time. Yeah, it's heavy. It's it's heavier. It's heavy. It's heavier than anything the Beatles did solo. Yeah, the guitar work on that's amazing, Uh-oh. and it's not like it's not flashy. It's not like he's being Jimi Hendrix. This is just like heavy guitar chords. Yeah, I like it. Okay, I've even learned to like the Apple Jam, and I, 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 some people always say, "Well, I don't listen to that part of the album." Okay, I get it. There's no words. Okay, and there's you know, it's but the instrumental is amazing. Eleven minute jams, but it's amazing. You to some of them, yeah. You know, it's like kind of cool. Like Out of the Blue is a, is a great yeah. song. You know, um, I think it's the best solo effort by any Beatle. Okay. Uh, Paul McCartney had a couple of okay songs with Wings and stuff, but he they were never consistent. This album is consistent all the way through. And then Harrison, of course, would make a lot of albums after that, and he would never he would never peak 
like with this. No, nah, this was I think this was the best album that he took out. It was it was it was it was the masterpiece. You want to hear another great thing about this album? In 2014 it was um it was uh inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. The Grammy Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, I don't think it won a Grammy. No, but it was inducted to the Grammy Hall of Fame, the album. What year was that? In 2014. Oh, okay. So Harrison had been dead a while already. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it wow. might be more like a, you know, like a Lifetime Achievement Award or something. Lifetime Achievement kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Or they just, or they were just, you know, pretty much celebrating the greatness of the album. You know, probably a lot of people heard it then and they were like, okay. Because it must have yep. been easier to pick up once you put that shit on CD. You don't have to carry this giant box. Yeah, wow, wow, wow. So that's what I got for you today. I just want to remind everybody what we got coming up next. That's going to be uh, a rock show podcast on T-Rex. T-Rex should be interesting. There's a lot of history yeah. about T-Rex. Yep, we might have a special guest for that show. Did I tell you? No, you got to let me know. So I, I'll need the person's number so I can uh, tune them in. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. And uh, um, it should be good. We'll probably get that in maybe over the weekend. Sounds good. And we also got the interview coming up, right? Tomorrow? Right. We, we got the interview with uh, with Joey Pinter. Joey Pinter, okay. right. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping you kind of put that up early. All right. We might get that one up in April. Uh, the Joey Pinter one, I might put up right away. Yeah, I think you should. So, this one that's gonna be that's gonna be more of a rock of Mike and Rob presents. Yes, exactly. So that could be up. I might I'll either put it up uh, right after the interview. Or I'll put it up on Tuesday. Okay. Well, doesn't matter because by the time people hear this, it would have happened. All right. But uh, all right. So Rob, that's great, man. Um, good talk. Yeah. Glad you're all right up there. Yeah. So far, everything's so good. And remember, don't get drunk. Get drunk. Get lumped get up. Lumped up. Take care, people.